0: Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the hump day edition of The Yard, it's going to be a busy week, Mississippi State baseball. Of course, it's a short week because uh, we start playing baseball again on Thursday. Bulldogs pick up a 6-1 win on Tuesday in an abbreviated game. We'll get into that uh, in the second segment of the show. You know, a lot going on, for sure. It's one of those things you begin to think about, you know, with uh, baseball. We're in the final stretch, it seems like we just started playing. But uh, it has been an eventful season in many respects. And I know that a lot of people are, you know, still kind of lamenting the loss of the weekend. But, you know, I mean, the time for the pity party is over. We, you know, we've got to put that behind us and flush us. And I, and I believe your team has already done that. Your coaches have. They understand, you know, what's in front of them. Chris Lamona said on the, the radio show Monday, that you know, we have to worry about us. And that's exactly what we've done. We need to have a 4-0 week if we can pull one. At worst case scenario, a 3-1 in one week. We picked up the first of those wins on Tuesday. So we will kind of move forward now and prepare for an Alabama team that is improved. And we knew beginning of the year that Alabama would take a step forward. They have. They are not, you know, in contention, but they are certainly a team that uh, has a chance to make the NCAA tournament. We're going to spend some time today kind of looking around the league and also looking at the latest projections from D1 Baseball. I still believe D1 Baseball is uh, is the best college baseball site, despite the fact that uh, I think they dropped us in the polls a little too much all the way down to 10. But here's the deal. The only poll that counts is the last one. And if we play our best baseball in the month of June, that's the one that we want to be a number one in. We want to be the last team to win, as Logan Tanner told me beginning of the year. That's the most important part of it is figuring out these things here at the end, settling the lineup, settling the rotation. And like many of you, I begin to ask myself, you know, it's like we've had you know three months of baseball. I didn't think we'd still be tinkering this late in the process. And Yeah, it's a bit unsettling. It is. But, you know, we just got to figure out a way to kind of win some ball games here and, uh, you know, get on the Hoover and then kind of see what happens. I, th- I think Mississippi State is in a great position to be the four seed when the tournament begins next week. As it stands right now, we're tied for fourth, but we would lose a tiebreaker to Florida, so we need to win one more game than they do this weekend. And I think there's a good chance of that happening because now that you know the chances of us uh, you know winning the league are pretty remote, there is still a chance for us to win a share. But we can't focus on that. We just have to focus on winning games and let the traffic clear around us. And uh, you know we need Florida, you know, to win the SEC. We would need Florida to take that series, but not sweep. You know, but if in order for us to be the four seed, we need to find a way to to see Arkansas win the series and take care of our own business and get us that that buy. I think it's an important part of the postseason packing order too. When you argue that um, you know that you're the number four team in the best baseball conference in America, that's something I think the selection committee has to look at and respect. I do think we're going to see as many as uh, six, possibly seven host sites in the sec if the cards fall just right i would say probably six right now but uh, we'll see how things go there's some teams out there on the back end of the projections uh, for the regionals that uh, took some losses tonight it's incredible to think about the fact that you could lose a midweek game especially to a team with a ridiculously high rpi or ridiculously low depending on your vantage point and that's what old miss and lsu did on uh, tuesday so mississippi state takes care of business and You know, other teams don't. And so, we just can't worry about that. We have to worry about us, take care of what's in front of us, go to Tuscaloosa, have a winning weekend down there. And we'll be be down there on Thursday. Tomorrow is a day of practice. We'll kind of get fine-tuned, do some game planning for Alabama. We'll break down the Alabama Crimson Tide on today's show, since we're going to play on Thursday. And then on Friday, we'll have a recap of what happened Thursday and look ahead to the weekend. I know you guys are excited about that. And remember, everybody in the SEC is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday deal this week because of the fact that we're going to let everybody kind of have that extra day to prepare their pitching. And, you know, depending on when we play, it's going to depend on who pitches. We started Parker Stannett on Tuesday, got a couple of innings, earned his first college win. And Parker has been a starter most of his career, but uh, he has been pretty good at state this year. I guess he's had 13 appearances going into tonight. He has been better when they, when he comes in at the beginning of an inning. Struggled a little bit tonight with control, and, and that's one of those things, too, when you bring a guy in and you know he's just trying to figure this thing out. And that's the thing with Stannett. He's got that incredible hammer curve, but uh, he needs to be in advantage counts to throw it. And when he throws it early in counts and can't throw it for a strike, teams are going to lay off of it. So we'll break that down a little bit later in the show. But this is the most pivotal part of Mississippi State's baseball schedule because of what happened last weekend. And there was a result on Tuesday that's going to make you pull your hair out a little bit thinking about the weekend losses to Missouri. But uh, we're not going to waste any more time on that. We'll move ahead, look ahead to Tuscaloosa. All right, so let's talk a little about Bulldog Burger Company. Uh, I've been there recently, and you guys have as well, many of you, You know, here's the thing about Bulldog Burger Company. I was eating there a long time before they became sponsors of the show. And so when the opportunity came up to partner with them, I jumped at the opportunity because I like to associate with winners. I know you guys do as well. And I would never recommend a business to you that I didn't believe in. And so Bulldog Burger Company has been great to me. They've been great to everyone in the greater Starkville area, now in the Golden Triangle, in Tupelo. Two locations to serve you right now with a new one coming, right? University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go in, have the spring rolls, they'll make you better looking. Find your own favorites. You know I'm a big fan of the mission with the pico de gallo on the side, that way I can kind of control the onion distribution because I'm not a big onion fan. Some of you are. But I'm a fan of the mission. I'm a fan of the pimentology ad bacon. I hadn't had that in a while though. I need to get back on that. I'm a fan of the Bryant. Great burgers. And if you just want a straight rock and roll burger, you get the Bulldog. Not a lot of frills with it, man. Just a great American classic. Coming soon to Ridgway, there on Lake Harbor Drive. Let me remind you, too, if you or someone you know is looking for employment this summer, give Bulldog Burger Company an opportunity to provide you with employment. They're looking for happy individuals that can provide great service and be great teammates. At all locations, Ridgway, Starkville, and Tupelo. Be sure to check them out or encourage your young person, perhaps is uh, you know home for the summer or whatever, and they're just thinking, you know what, I need to make some extra money. Bulldog Burger Company, absolutely the way to go. A great place to work, a great place to eat. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. So we had some rain on and off today in uh, the Starkville area. You know, and when I looked at the radar earlier and looked at the forecast, it was supposed to clear out around first pitch, and then things changed, and we had uh, you know rain kind of throughout the ballgame. I had tweeted out, hey, no more unexpected. And somebody was like, hey, Steve, look at the radar. And I had not. And we sat there and played some wet baseball for a while. But uh, Mississippi State comes up on the winning side of that. Let's go ahead and look at this here. And so we, we start the, the top of the first, and I mentioned it's Parker Stonett's first start at Mississippi State, his 14th appearance. We come out, we get a ground out to short. I thought that was good for Lane Forsyth. Go ahead and get him in the flow of the ball game. Uh, you know it wasn't necessarily a routine play but it's one that he's going to make you know 99 times out of 100 he makes it very very clean throws a strike over to Logan Tanner I kind of like Logan over there too like him behind the plate a lot too but you know sometimes you got to give those knees a rest keep his bat in line up and uh, keep Luke Hancock in there as well so we get the ground out and then we have a long at bat or we walk the number 2 hitter One-one count, we hit the next guy, and all of you are thinking just like me, here we go. And then we go 3-0 on the next hitter. But Stinnett battles back and gets the K. You get a K looking on the get-me-over strike, and then a pair of swinging strikes to record the second out. We have another at-bat, we get behind the hitter again, 2-0, get the strike, looking, and then we get, um, you know, a walk. So now the bases are loaded with two down. And to Stinnett's credit, and this is kind of like he, you know, kind of the par for the course for him, you know, he is a guy sometimes that will pitch himself into trouble and out of trouble, and he gets a K swinging there on four pitches with Adams to get out of the inning. And, but I'm going to be honest with you, you know, I was ready to pull my hair out. It's like, oh, my gosh, let's just go out there and throw strikes. And one of the things that I question sometimes, and I don't mean this as a criticism of Parker Stinnett, but it's kind of an observation as a whole, you know, guys that are scared to get hit – are guys that nibble with the strike zone. You know, if you believe in your stuff and you know you've got a power fastball that's got some motion to it, if you know you can throw your breaking ball for a strike, go attack the hitters. Go pound the zone, force them to put the ball in play, make them hit your pitch. And I think sometimes these guys overthink it a little bit, especially some of these younger guys who are going through the SEC for the first time. And I think we saw a lot of that this weekend. You know, we've had some guys in the in the past that, you know, you know, they were, they were scared to get hit. And so, as a result, they were constantly throwing balls out of his zone, trying to get guys to chase. Well, in this league, in the SEC, you know, you've got some of the best hitting coaches in America. When they realize that you don't have confidence in your stuff, they're going to wait you out. And so, that's a lesson you've got to learn in non-conference. You've got to be able to pound his zone and pitch the contact and have those guys make plays behind you. And you want soft contact. You want to be able to have them hit the top of the baseball and beat the ball in the ground let your infield work. And that's been a bit of an adventure at times for Mississippi State. But you got a better chance. I'd rather take the error than give the walk. I'd want them to hit their way on. Uh, Bottom of one, State comes out, and I really thought we had a good approach at the plate, and I thought we were doing more of the things we did against South Carolina rather than Missouri. We were out there working in the middle of the field. We do get a ground out to third base from Rowdy, and then we get a, a walk to TA. James pops up out there to second. And then Luke Hancock absolutely hammered a laser into the right field seats. Gabe State, a 2-0 lead. It's his 10th home run of the year. We need Luke Hancock. We absolutely need him to get hot. Because he is a guy that, number one, is very difficult to strike out. He is willing to walk to move the lineup around. But he gives you a real power bat from the left-hand side. And with all the right-handers that we're going to see down the stretch, it's important to have a guy like him that is very, very quick twitch. And we'll bring the the handle inside the baseball and pull that thing in the right field with some authority. And so good to see Luke swinging the bat well. And, and that's one you know with with T A. and Rowdy hitting as well as they are right now. You need some guys behind them, and we need we need to get Cam James going. I, I'm not as down on Cam as some of you guys are. And, and listen, I, I'm rooting for him every time that he goes up to the plate. I'm thinking, you know, he just needs something to fall to kind of get him going. Thought we were going to have some of that tonight, but uh, I. I know him hitting three-hole, he is going to see a ton of breaking balls. And sometimes we forget he's still a freshman. You can say, we well, you know Steve played a guy a lot last year. Yeah, he did, but not against any SEC teams. And so, I, I'm still a Cam James fan. I believe that he is going to turn this thing around, and I think we're going to need him to get some hits for us down the stretch to help us get to Omaha. And so, you know, I don't think tweeting at him is going to get that done. I'm not going to belabor that point today. Uh, and T, uh, excuse me, Logan Tanner, and grounds out the short to end the inning. But we're often running with a 2 0 lead, and you're thinking, okay, hopefully this will settle Stinnett down. We walked a leadoff hitter, but then all of a sudden he settles. I thought he really did a good job after that. We get a strikeout looking on three pitches, and they were absolutely electric. We get an Anderson to strike out swinging on four pitches. Really thought he was, you know, kind of finding his zone there a little bit. And then we get a ground ball to short. And we boot it, and uh, just don't make a play there, and uh, and so as a result, our pitcher should be out of the inning again, and we're having to throw extra pitches. And what happens? All of a sudden, we put our guy in the stretch, we walk a guy. And now we're all of a sudden facing some adversity again. Time runs are on base, but he gets a pop up out to Scotty DeBrule to end the inning. And so these are the things that absolutely infuriate all of us. It's like when you've got a guy out there that is kind of struggling at times to find the zone, the defense has got to help him out a little bit. When he is able to get that routine ground ball, we got to make the play. And so now you think about our left side, you think about Cam James and uh, Lane Forsythe. They now collectively have 28 errors between them. You're going to get a lot more balls at shortstop. That's one of the reasons you put your most sure-handed defender there. And I believe Lane Forsythe is going to be a phenomenal player for us over the course of his career at Mississippi State. Again, this is a guy that's playing really before we expected him to. I mean, the plan early on was that Cam James is going to be the shortstop, right? And then Cam slides over to third, and you know, people forget, you know, you know we've, we've had some defections this year over this whole decision, you know, to keep, uh, you know, Forsythe in the lineup. Landon Jordan, of course, was uh, your starting third baseman, and then he comes out of the lineup and elects to lead the program. And so now you no longer have that that option. And I really thought Jordan was playing pretty good defense for us early on. He's putting ball in play. Thought he was going to be a contributor. And, and I, I hate that he made the decision that he did. But at the end of the day, nobody's bigger than Mississippi State baseball. But it also limits Chris Lamonis' options on that side of the infield. We can't go out and sign anybody, as Chris always says. We can't trade for anybody. We got to make the plays with the guys we have. And so. There are times you think, okay, well, we'd love to be able to sit him or perhaps play Tanner Leggett at short and kind of give Forsyth maybe a day off, kind of refocus and resettle things. But you just don't have that option right now. And that's where I think Landon Jordan uh, leaving the program really impacts Mississippi State, is it limits your ability uh, to give some guys a chance to kind of sit and rest and maybe refocus and and kind of get their heads right. But uh, bottom of second, we uh, we pick it up again, go right out there and begin to, to, to swing the bat pretty hard. Uh, Brule flies out to left. Thought he hit it pretty well. Combs works it for a walk. Kellen Clark then walks. I'm a big Kellen Clark guy. Now that he is, uh, you know, kind of gotten you know some abs and seen some pitching, and he probably barrels up balls better than anybody in the lineup right now. Even when he gets out, it's allowed out. This is again a big left-handed hitter that I believe is going to have a huge career at Mississippi State. He has all the tools. Got to find out where he fits position-wise long-term. You kind of plan him in left field right now as a platoon guy. But I think next year he's probably going to be your first baseman. I think that's exactly where he'll work in the Cape and probably this fall kind of get him ready. He works on at third this year. And uh, just wasn't quite there yet defensively. But I think he is probably your first baseman uh, moving forward into 2022. But in, tonight he gets the walk, moves the lineup forward, and then Forsythe strikes out swinging. There's a wild pitch moves both guys up. So, we have two guys in uh, scoring position. And then Rowdy hits a rocket back up the middle. And it just kind of takes a crazy hop and gets through the second baseman. It's ruled a hit. I would have scored it a hit as well. That ball was hit exceptionally well. And both runs score, which makes it a 4 nothing ball game. And then T.A. singles to left. Rowdy goes to second. And then Cam James strikes out swinging after a lengthy at bat. This is, again, you get a foul. You take a ball, you take a strike looking, you foul one off, you foul one off, and then you you strike out swinging. And it's just, for some reason, Cam's just not seeing it right now really well. And uh, I I don't think that will continue. I I think that he will get it figured out. But it's one of those things, too, when you hit three-hole, you just simply know you're not going to get a lot of fastballs. And what's happening now is when he does get a fastball early in the count, he's jumping on it. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, last weekend I think he had F7, F8, F9 all in the same ball game because he gets a fastball early in the count. And and what's the old adage in baseball? You know, The best way to avoid striking out on the curve ball is don't miss on the fastball. And so I think as a result, he is uh, maybe not being as patient as he should be because he's trying to get things going. And, and again, Cam is an incredible worker. He's a very talented player. He will get it figured out. I don't really have any doubt about it. I know that's not exactly maybe what some of you guys want to hear. But sometimes I think we forget. You know, they're all our guys. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, it's, I think sometimes, you know, we all want to win so bad. You think, oh, we need to sit this guy. We got to do this. We got to do that. Sometimes you got to look at the big picture. And and sometimes you know the game of the moment and being prisoners of the moment is not the best thing. I mean, you know, these experiences make these guys better in the long run. Now, is Cam James going to be a pro shortstop? I don't know. Maybe third base is his home. But, you know, I, I believe he's going to go play for Ron Polk in the Cape this summer. And I think that'll be good for him, too. I think that'll be a really good experience for him. And I think Mississippi State will benefit from that as well. So, we get to the top of there, We bring in Jackson Fristo. And the first question, my, my phone lit up immediately. So, I guess that means fristo has gone for the weekend. Absolutely not. He is available. I asked Chris Amonis in postgame. Since he didn't pitch on the weekend today, was pretty much a bullpen for him. And he was outstanding, I thought. Uh, he gets ahead of the first hitter. Uh, throws a first pitch strike gets a foul it's 0-2 we throw the purpose pitch to kind of set him up get a foul then he grounds out to short we get crow to strike out swing and get behind him but the next thing you know it's a one and two count then and then we work it full and we get the punch out and then we get a first pitch strike to Adams and then we kind of nip a little bit there kind of nibble around his own and we get a line out to center field so it's a 1-2-3 inning for, for Jackson Frusto, And I think that's good for him, too. It's, you know, I think him not pitching this past weekend may prove to be a good thing for him because, you know, we have thrown that guy out there and had him throw some high-pressure innings, and he's a freshman. I mean, he never expected to pitch this much, and all of a sudden we're having him go out there at times on Sundays trying to either get a sweep or salvage a series. That's an, that's an awful lot for a freshman. And I think at times it wears on him. So I think giving him the weekend off – Might not have been the best thing for Mississippi State on Sunday, but it was probably the best thing for Jackson Fristo. And it may be better for Mississippi State kind of moving forward now that he's had a chance to kind of, you know, sit and refocus. I I thought he was pretty good tonight. I thought his stuff looked good. Uh, Got a lot of swing and miss, too, and I think that's when he's at his best. Bottom of third, we come out and again begin to separate and kind of expand the game. Luke Hancock rifles a single in the right field, and then Logan Tanner walks on four pitches, and then the Brule lays down a perfect bunt. I love the call here, and I don't know if it's his call or, or Cheese's call or Lamonis' call, but considering the fact that it was, uh, it was wet out there and you knew the pitcher was going to have uh, some difficulty you know, fielding the bunt there, I thought it was absolutely perfect to be able to do that. I thought it was a great, great decision, and I think it's one of those things that um, really worked out well for Mississippi State because now the bases are loaded with nobody out. I love these windows that just pop up. All right, so base is loaded, and then Combust pops up to second base, and this is when the wind really had picked up. There was no wind early in the ballgame, and all of a sudden, right around the top of the third, the wind shifted as that front began to move in, and it was blowing really hard in from right. And so this is kind of a pop-up. It might have landed in no man's land. I guess it's maybe 20 feet from the infield dirt the second baseman grabs it Luke Hancock tags and takes off and to be honest with you he should have been out there's no question he should have been out the throw beats him the catcher is waiting on him probably I don't know three strides from home and then Luke gets ready to you kind of go outside because he's blocked the plate a little bit and so he gets ready to go outside and the catcher tags him with an empty mitt and we are always so hypercritical of officials, myself included, the home plate umpire absolutely got it right. In live time, he saw that the tag was applied with an empty mitt. A lot of people thought he didn't tag him at all. The replay shows that he does kind of brush him with the glove, but he has the baseball in his throwing hand, and it is not in conjunction with the mitt. And so as a result, the review, he is ruled safe. So we steal a run right there. Really not good base running there. And, I, you know, listen, I get the opportunity there. To, listen, let's make them make a play. Uh, you know, I don't know that I send the runner right there. But it worked out for us. And then Kellum Clark probably hit the hardest baseball of the evening. On a 2-0 count, he rips one. It just happened to go right at the right fielder. And I actually think that wind it was blowing in so hard, probably pushed that ball down a little bit. You know, maybe on a day when there's no wind or maybe the sun is shining, that thing's probably off the wall. I mean, he absolutely crushed it. He is definitely seeing the baseball well, barreling some things up. I would love to see the numbers here in the last ten days or so, you know, about who's had the most barrels on the team. I would say Kellum Clark is probably right there near the top, if not the top. Uh, Lane Forsythe comes through and doubles down the left field line. Really did a good job. Uh, getting the point of contact down we talk about that sometimes too there's a ball in the inner half he gets a bad head out front pulls that ball down left field line past the diving third baseman uh, and, and drives in a run there uh, Debreu goes to third and uh, maybe you should have sent him I don't know but considering what we had done earlier in maybe we didn't want to press our luck a little bit but uh, again good job of hitting by Lane Forsythe then Again, there's going to be some up and down with freshmen. You know, we talk about he takes a lot of called third strikes, and that is very irritating. But the more pitching that he sees at this level, he's going to begin to realize, you know what, that really is a strike. You know, because there's a lot of times, sometimes I think they pitch him a little bit backwards, and, uh, and they work away, work away, work away. And I think the book out there on him is that, you know what, maybe he doesn't see that, you know, that fastball away on the corner quite as well as he should. But that didn't matter tonight. He did a great job uh, pulling that ball inside the bag at third to drive in to run. So, it's a six-nothing ball game. We get into the fourth and bring in Carlisle Kessler, again, a guy that needed a little bit of work. And, of course, too, you kind of preserve Fristo for the weekend a little bit. You know, pretty quick inning there for Fristo. Kessler comes in and gets a ground out after two pitches from Alexander. Ground out the shortstop. We make a play. Really nice play, too. He had to come up and charge on it and then kind of throw on the run. Throws a strike over there. I guess really it was a one-hopper and a great job by Logan Tanner to dig it out. Remember, that's a catcher over there doing that for you. Andrews then doubles to left field, and you think, okay, this is where they're going to punch through here and score. They absolutely do. You get a ground out to the right side, pushes the runner to third, and then uh, Cole Frederick singles down the left field line, and then Brad Cumbus comes up and throws an amazing relay to um, I guess it really wasn't a relay. It was direct. He, he goes, makes the uh, just a heave to second base, throws on a line. Debrulle makes a tag. It really wasn't a close play. I mean, it was such a great throw that all Scotty had to do was just kind of turn and tag, and he does. And you know, we're just basically waiting for the out to be recorded. And, and uh, again, they're just trying to do a little too much there. But it made it a six-one ball game. Really thought that was a momentum shift too. I mean, they had come out there and put a run up and now they would have had a runner in a scoring position but we play some pretty good defense there bottom of four we go one two three T.A. grounds out the short Cam James strikes out swinging and Luke Hancock flies out to left we get into the top of five here and this is when we begin to, the rain was raining so heavily in the press box we're beginning to ask okay when could this game be official if they have to delay this game are we going to be here all night what's the protocol on this so we were Beginning to kind of get hear some murmurings that this thing may not go the distance. And let's be honest, nobody wanted us to be out there playing, you know, so midnight in a midweek game, especially a game that we were gonna largely be way ahead most of the ball game. So we bring in uh Leggett for Cam, and uh we get a ground out to second to start the inning, and then there's an error on the second baseman. To be honest with you, I disagree with the scoring here thought it should, the error should have been on Logan Tanner. We, we actually shifted, and they hit it directly into the shift, right to DeBruyne. Guy's hustling down the line. He makes the, the throw, and uh, Logan Tanner should have had it, and I'm sure he'll tell you he should have had it. But, you know, when you got catchers playing first base at times, you're going to have some plays that are a little bit unnatural for them, and that's just kind of how that one looked. Uh, Carnigan is then hit by the pitch, and now there's runners at first and second, and you're thinking, okay, here we go. But he battles back. He gets a three-pitch swinging K of Crow, swung and missed at all three pitches. And when Carlisle gets that changeup going, he's really, really tough. And then we bring in Spencer Price, which could possibly be his last appearance at Duty Noble Field. And I was glad to see it. Spencer's a great guy. I mean, he really is. Been around for a long time. And there was a time he was the most dominant closer in all of college baseball. He was an All-American. Then he has the surgery. It takes a while to come back. Rehab took a lot longer than we all had hoped, and certainly longer than he did. But he has a big moment. Comes back. The last strikeout of the regular season at Duty Noble Field by a Bulldog pitcher is Spencer Price. Gets ahead. It's a 1-1 count. Gets a foul. It's a 2-2 count. And then he gets a K-swinging on that slider, which is his bread-and-butter pitch. And at the end of the day, that was a ball game. And I thought it was a pretty cool moment. I asked Chris Simonis about it a little bit, and he didn't rule out you know using Spencer uh, later in the year. But I thought it was nice to ensure that he had one more appearance at Duty Noble Field. Spencer Price loves Mississippi State baseball, and, and life hadn't necessarily been fair to him. It had been very easy for him to decide here a couple of years ago, you know what, I think I'm done. I'll just go ahead and hang this thing up. And it was a good run. You know, you, people forget. A couple of years ago, Spencer was basically a mop-up guy for us. We we weren't throwing him any, any meaningful innings. And then last year, he and Riley Self both kind of began to find something. And I thought Spencer was finally back to kind of being Spencer a little bit. Maybe he didn't have the v-lobe of before, but he's he's pitching with the same intensity, getting a lot of swing and miss. And uh, so he likes to come back this year. And a lot of people were excited about that. But uh, you know, with the emergence of Landon Sims, you just didn't need. Uh, you know, Price to be the closer, and so he loses that role. And with so many other bullpen arms out there, he hadn't had a chance to pitch a lot. So I think it was good to get him. I think he could be a good matchup guy for you, uh, especially with that slider because it's so filthy. Because he can tunnel that slider and that fastball. He d- he doesn't have a plus fastball, but it's sneaky fast because people start looking for that slider. Next thing you know, he can pump that fastball out of that same arm, slide in on you. And it it looks faster than it really is just because of the fact you're looking slider and kind of gearing up to take that ball the other way. And he jams that fastball in on the inside corner. And so maybe if you're lucky, you can foul it back. But sometimes they just can't pull the trigger on it. And so, again, very happy for Spencer Price. He has a wonderful family. I've met most of them. Uh, And that's the thing, too. I I joked the other day when I spoke to his parents. I said, you know, I I think maybe – Spencer and I have such a good rapport because he's been here so long. You know, I mean, sometimes I think uh, I can't remember who moved here first, me or him. But, again, a great moment for him, and I'm really excited for him. So, Mississippi State wins the ball game uh, 5-1. The way this protocol works is, and I, I don't know if Jacksonville State was just ready to go, the way the rain delay protocol works is you got to give 30 minutes to see if the conditions improve. I don't think we waited a full 30 minutes Uh, They called the ball game, and I think Jacksonville State probably figured out, you know, listen, we're going to stay here and play, you know, four and a half more innings, and this game's going to get away from us. Let's just go ahead and take the loss and hit the road. I don't think anybody on the Mississippi State side was disappointed about that. Of course, there's a couple of guys you'd like to get some work for, but, you know, you threw Mikey Tepper over the weekend. You threw Kate Smith over the weekend. And so there's not a lot of guys that hadn't had a little bit of work here as of late. So, let's run the numbers real quick. And, again, this is an abbreviated game. So, the box score, not a lot of A-Bs, obviously. But, uh, you know, Roddy Jordan, one for three. Tanner Allen, one for two with a run scored. Of course, Roddy gets a couple of ribbies there. Uh, Luke Hancock, your offensive hero, two for three tonight, two RBI and two runs scored. Uh, Scott Debrule one for two. He continues to stay hot. Uh, Lane Forsythe, one for two on the night. So, you know, again – you know, 17 at bats, six hits, six runs, pretty efficient in all of that. We also work it for four walks. We strike out just four times, uh, left four on base. A much different situation for them. They leave eight on base, and a lot of that's against self-inflicted wounds. You know, hit by pitches and walks. When you when you give guys free bases, it usually comes back to haunt you. It doesn't tonight, but it's one of those cautionary tales. You got to get this thing cleaned up. We go down to Alabama and play a team that's really playing for something. When we give them extra bases, we're, we're going to rue the day, to borrow a phrase. Uh, they didn't do much. We'd allow just two hits in one run and 18 at-bats, uh, seven Ks on the night, and uh, four walks. And all of, I believe all those walks came early on uh, with Parker Sunette. But um, that's your ball game. And, uh, again, not a lot to feel really great about, nothing to really feel bad about, just kind of uh, you a know, business-type approach. We go out there and beat a team we should and uh, got out of there a little bit earlier than maybe we had planned. But uh, Parker's net credited with the win. It's incredible, too, despite all that trouble. Two innings pitched, no hits, no runs, four walks, four Ks, one hit by pitch. So he issued five free passes but didn't allow a run. And so when he gets a clean sheet, he's going to be outstanding. Uh, for, uh, Jackson Fristo, of course, uh, one inning of hitless relief. With the one punch out, Carlisle Kessler goes one and two-thirds of an inning, uh, does allow the one run on two hits, gets one K, and Spencer Price comes in and cleans up and uh, faces one hitter, strikes him out. We threw 100 pitches on the night, most of those obviously coming from Parker's to net the first two innings. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? okay let's look around the league a very interesting night in the southeastern conference <laughs> very very interesting it's one of those things too there's so many people that still have so much to play for you know and like i don't agree with these folks and say you know midweeks don't matter uh, midweeks absolutely matter when the ncaa selection committee goes and sits down and looks at your rpi they look at your strength of schedule and they look at your midweek record and you say you know what this is no good and when you're battling for a spot and you're battling for a regional host uh, selection, you can't go drop a midweek game to a team with a terrible RPI. And that's exactly what happened to a couple teams tonight within our league. So Georgia goes on the road and loses to Georgia Tech 7-6. to six. Now, a couple weeks ago, Georgia was forecasted to be a two seed. They have now dropped to a three. And you keep dropping games like this, that's not going to help, especially when you got a big series with Ole Miss this weekend. Northwestern State goes into Alex Box Stadium and beats LSU 7-3. to three. You want to talk about something not going right for LSU? That's it. We talked about last week about how big that midweek win was against Louisiana Tech, and it absolutely was. And then they allow the Demons to come in there and beat them at their place. That is an RPI killer. And LSU has been in pretty good shape, but those are the things – down the stretch, you want to argue that you're playing your best baseball, and yeah, we had some injuries and some adversity. We overcome that, and then you go lose a ball game like this—absolutely horrendous. Uh, Tennessee Tech makes it a game, but Kentucky wins eight-four. Belmont, not much competition for Tennessee, eleven-to-two winners uh, there in Oxford, Falls. Kansas goes into Columbia, Missouri, and beats the Tigers nine-to-eight. Perhaps a bit of a hangover. Uh, after the weekend not that Missouri's going anywhere unfortunately but you begin to think you know goodness gracious Kansas one of the worst teams in the big 12 uh, goes in there and beats Missouri in a midweek game so it you kind of erase all that about hey Missouri's playing good baseball it, it just makes it even worse right uh, Alabama excuse me North Alabama goes to Auburn North Alabama of course a team that's played pretty well at times against SEC teams nearly beat Vanderbilt last midweek Auburn wins the game 14-6. to six. Auburn playing pretty good baseball right now. Happy for Butch Thompson, for sure. Hopefully they make it to Hoover. Appalachian State, not much competition for South Carolina, but it is a 2 nothing ball game there. The Gamecocks kind of figuring some things out. You know, I think that weekend against us, I think them emerging on that Sunday and finding a way to come back and win has kind of lit a fire to them. They absolutely embarrassed Kentucky over the weekend. So, I guess they've won five in a row, maybe five or six. Uh, Jacksonville State, of course, loses its state, 6-1. UT Martin goes on the road and beats Ole Miss 9-7. And, you know, you hate to see it, but at the same time, you love to see it. Uh, let's take a little longer look at this ballgame so we can kind of savor in the despair. I mean, you're fresh off a series win over Vanderbilt. You're feeling your oats. You're thinking, okay, we played our way back into a potential hosting situation. And then you drop a game to a team with an RPI of 228. And you listen, there's no fluke. No fluke. Ole Miss did not make an error. UT Martin, 12 hits, 9 runs, and never trailed in the ballgame. They get up 3-0, and then Ole Miss scores, make it 3-1. UT Martin, the Skyhawks, answer right back, make it a 5-1 ball game. Ole Miss answers, makes it 5-3. UT tacks on in the fourth, make it a 6-3 game. Ole Miss ties it in the fifth, and from there it was pretty much all UT Martin. Scoreless in the sixth and seventh, and in the eighth inning, UT Martin hits a three-run bomb to take a lead. Ole Miss scores a run there in the eighth and then go quietly in the ninth. Looking up and down this order, too, it's just incredible to look how even the offensive production was for UT Martin. I mean, absolutely incredible. Uh, I believe all but two starters, excuse me, all but uh, eight of the nine starters had a hit on the the game. I believe that's correct. Eight of nine, and that's ridiculous. And uh, four guys have multi-hit games. So, 12 hits, nine runs, nine ribbies, and they still strike out 12 times. On the flip side, which is incredible because I've heard so many people tell me that Ole Miss is the uh, greatest offense in baseball since the 61 Yankees. But UT Martin pitching – goes out here and really just kind of strings this thing together. It was basically a Johnny Holstaff night. They throw six pitchers on the night and then win the ball game. It's not like you had, you know, one guy out there just kind of ran into a great night and just had a dream scenario. But looking at the, uh, you know, Ole Miss brings in uh, Miller, one of their weekend relievers, and he goes an inning uh, and then gives up a hit and a run. Yes, It's incredible to look at this thing. I mean, it really is. And that's the thing you think about. You know, down the stretch, a lot of Ole Miss people have been really upset with Mike Bianco, and this is the reason why. There's just so much inconsistency. You go out and you play above your head in a series that nobody expected you to win, and you beat Vanderbilt, one of the best teams in the country, and you go right back and you lose to UT Martin. It is very much an old Miss thing. It is indicative of the Mike Bianco era, and uh, I hope they keep him forever. I really do. So – Uh, That's your look at the SEC. I believe I've got them all done. No, I got one more. Vanderbilt crushes Florida International twenty to four. So I think they were a little bit salty about losing the, uh, you know, the series over the weekend. But you know, really the big news out of uh, Vanderbilt involves an injury. That's the thing that, uh, and and not much discussion about, you know, kind of where things stand right now. Tim Corbin really didn't have much to say uh, after the ball game. But it's just you begin to kind of look at this thing, and you know, down the stretch, the last thing you want is for uh, you know your stars to be missing. You know, this is this Vanderbilt team offensively. Well, they got a lot of credit over the weekend, you know, for being a great offense. They're not a great offense. They're a good offense. They're not what Vanderbilt has been. Of course, they got some young guys contributing that'll be stars uh, in the long run. But, you know, this is just not one of those teams you look at and say, you know what, there's ten guys in this lineup that scare me to death. I mean, there, there are some guys in there that you you begin to think, okay, we're going to be okay, we can pitch to this guy. There's just there's no J.J. Blay in the lineup where you have to just kind of look at it and say, you know what, we can't let this guy come up in a key situation. But the big news is Carter Young. Carter Young, one of the best young players in this league, uh, leads Vandy in so many offensive statistical categories Injures a shoulder, stealing second base, and uh, had to be removed from the ball game. And again, no uh, comment post-game, but he did say he was in a sling and uh, did rejoin the team in the dugout uh, after being evaluated by the medical personnel there. You hate to see that for anybody. I mean, you guys have been around this show long enough to know, we we don't take joy in any young man or young lady getting injured. Um, And I hope he makes a full recovery. And, uh, you know, listen, I'm not, a, I'm not a Vanderbilt fan. I think all this scholarship stuff is absolutely ridiculous. But Carter Young is an exciting young player, and, and you would hate to think that uh, he wouldn't get a chance to play in the postseason. And then the flip side of it is to say, you know what, you know, I mean, injuries are part of the game. I mean, it is. And, and there are so many people say, well, you know, if so-and-so wouldn't have got hurt, you know, if so-and-so wouldn't have done this, and so, you know. College baseball is a long season. At some point, everybody deals with some injuries. You know, Mississippi State's been very fortunate in many respects this year. You know, of course, we lose Riley Self, and this is a guy that would really just beginning to kind of regain his form this is a guy that can come in and be kind of a ground ball specialist for us, and we lose him. You know, and so it's not like that we have been unaffected by this stuff. But we have avoided the major injury so far. And so, you know, I, I just – I admire so many of these young players. I love college baseball, and you just hate to see it. I mean, just like the Tim Elko thing, you know, it's just such a fluke thing. I know so many people have uh, kind of ridden Bianco about, you know, overusing his pitchers. But, you know, the Tim Elko thing is just a crazy fluke deal against North Alabama. You know, he's just running out of ground ball, and they throw the ball wide at first, and next thing you know, he's trying to avoid a guy trying to do the sportsman-like thing, and he tears his ACL. I mean, it's just kind of a fluke thing. And you just hate to see it. I mean, you know, I mean, you really do. And so I hope all these guys make a full recovery. But that is huge news out of Vanderbilt. And, again, that's an offense that is good. It's not great, despite what some other people will tell you. There's not a lot of people in the lineup you look at and say, you know what, we've got to be careful with this guy. And probably the one guy you had to be careful with is now banged up a little bit. All right, let's get to today's top ten list. Brought to you by johnnypacker.com. Had a chance to visit with John here recently. He's always happy to see me. I'm happy to see him. John always full of life, man. He always is. And John's a guy that has been affected by cystic fibrosis his entire life. And he, he told me that, you know, he's, he has been on some experimental drugs and he has been able to get some, some lung function back. And there was a time in his life when his life expectancy was supposed to be about 20 years of age. And, and you know what? Now he's 40. You know, it's like it's a uh, it's a cool thing. It's very inspirational, man. And, and John's a guy too that uh, you know. If you've ever been around him, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's grateful for every day. And and so they John and him started this company, and it's uh, JohnnyPacker.com. And uh, you're going to buy sunglasses anyway. And so I encourage you, as always, do business with Bulldogs when you can. And that's what you've got at JohnnyPacker.com. And because those guys are so cool, and they love the boneyard so much, they have given you guys a promo code to save a little cash. Promo code's easy. It's Boneyard. Go to johnnypacker.com and use promo code Boneyard and get 10% off your offer. Also of note, a portion of every purchase is donated directly to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. So John is hoping that he can help some other people, you know, find some quality of life like that he has had. And so it's important to understand that this is more than just a chance to buy sunglasses. It's a chance to make a difference. He also wanted me to let you guys know that because you guys have been buying glasses so regularly, and thank you for that. Thanks for supporting them. Sometimes when you go on a site, that will pop up and say that this one's sold out or whatever. Listen, don't let that deter you. If you really like some frames, just click on that contact us link and let them know which ones you want. They'll go ahead and order them for you. They'll have them for you. Because sometimes it's like that they get, you know, five or six frames in and they're already purchased. And so those orders have to go right back out. And so when you pull up the website and you see sold out, don't think oh my gosh I really want these and they don't have them get a hold of them they can get a hold of the distributor and get it for you right away and so again this is a, you know, a good company run by Mississippi State people again that's johnnypacker.com use promo code boneyard to save 10 percent a lot of you folks send suggestions in for the top 10 lists that are outstanding And you know, a lot of times people send some that are duplicates I try to get those lists right back out to you when I can but uh, and I owe a couple people some lists uh, from the Q&A from the uh, rain delay on Tuesday. But um, today's suggestion comes from Roy. Roy Cimante, you know, a guy so gracious to uh, put together the Spotify list for you guys. It was his idea. He goes, man, I love the top ten lists. Have you ever thought about putting a Spotify playlist together so people can go listen to the songs? I said, you know, first of all, Roy, I don't use Spotify. I have no clue how to do it. Uh, But yeah, I think it'd be really cool. And he has been so gracious. He goes, man, I'm happy to do it. I love the show. I love the top 10 list. And I've had many of you that have reached out and said, you know what, Steve? I've expanded my musical horizons through the top 10 list. So Roy came up with this idea. He hit me up and I already had something kind of set up for today. But I liked his idea so much, I thought, let's jump on this. Roy says, hey, Steve, what about the Eagles' solo songs? What if we put a top 10 list of you know, when the Eagles were broken up and they had uh, some solo projects, the songs that they put together as solo artists. And I said, you know what? That is almost like a greatest hits album. And I was so excited to get on this list. And then the more I dug, I listened to every one of these songs and then some tonight before I recorded. I think you guys are going to dig this one. I really do. I think this is one too that kind of, uh, because there's some classic rock on here and there's some amazing love songs on this list. But I think it's one of those things where every, everybody is going to listen to this list and they're going to know every one of these songs. Sometimes I give you guys some obscure stuff. One of these days I'm going to do like an obscure 80s hair metal list just to satisfy myself. You know, we'll do like Sea Hags and Vane and Stage Dolls and people like that, some hair bands you never heard of. I'm going to do that just for me, and maybe only 500 people will listen to it, and that'll be okay. But this is one that I think most of you will enjoy. So it's the Eagles' solo songs. Top 10 songs from the Eagles during their solo careers. All right? Number 10, and uh, this was when I was DJing at uh, WCJU years ago, this album was hot. And I think at some point every song on this album was on our playlist. But it's the end of the innocence. Uh, by Don Henley and uh, really just kind of one of those songs about you know about growing up and it's, it's kind of the difference between paradise lost and paradise gained I mean you know it's just about things happen in life and you begin to realize at some point that life isn't fair number nine going back several years and I think I've heard this in uh in several bars over the years but um and for for many of us this is uh you know a song many of us guys are quite familiar with but it's all she wants to do is dance all she wants to do is dance and sometimes all she wants to do is dance and then drink your your liquor but uh but but it's a fun song so enjoy that no offense ladies i love you all you know that i love all women some more than others but i do love you all number eight glenn Fryman, and this this is on the miami vice soundtrack and some people say steve what's that well you know miami vice was such a huge hit had such a huge following i mean it was the friday night show for many many years i mean Sonny crockett uh you know rico Tubbs. that they were the coolest guys on television and because of the success of that show and the fact that they had a lot of original tunes on the uh on the show they released a soundtrack and glenn fry had a great song on the soundtrack that was, I think he eventually released it as part of uh, some other albums, but it was initially only available on the Miami Vice soundtrack, and it's a great tune called You Belong to the City. I'm sure you've heard it. If you haven't, you need to. Glenn Fry, man, you know, to be honest with you, I love the Eagles, but some of, some, probably my favorite songs from the Eagles are songs that were written by Glenn Fry. I absolutely love Glenn Fry's songwriting. Number seven, Many of you young bucks won't know this, but Don Henley at one point dated Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac. And they had an amazing duet together. And that is going to be your number seven song. It's Leather and Lace. And uh I love Stevie Nicks. My daughters love Stevie Nicks, and I love that. I love that they love her because she is such an incredible singer. Uh, her performance value is as incredible as anybody and we had a discussion recently in our little fam chat about who is the most iconic female singers and i think they eventually settled on aretha franklin stevie Nicks, and whitney houston i think that's the three they settled on Uh, i i couldn't argue against that but stevie Nicks, such an incredible singer and this is such an incredible song leather and lace check it out i think you'll dig it number six this is one of those ballads that I think that there's a lot of relatability to. I think everybody at some point has felt exactly what Don Henley was feeling when he wrote the song, The Heart of the Matter. And there are some of those lyrics, and because Don's voice is so haunting, you know, even now I've heard this song probably you know 500 times in my lifetime, that I still get the hair on my neck stands up. Because that's a great song, right? I mean, that's what makes a great song great songs make you feel something whether it be happiness or joy or nostalgia or whatever and this is one of those that uh that really kind of makes you think about that you know about where you've been in life but the heart of the matter especially that part when he he sings uh you know i'm learning to live without you but i miss you sometimes because we're all human but i think at some point we've all been there and i will share with you for those of you that may be unfamiliar the best version of this song the heart of the matter which was a don henley solo tr- song is actually the live acoustic version recorded with the Eagles. It was part of the Hell Freezes Over tour, and there's Glenn Fry and Joe Walsh and Timothy Schmidt up there, and the harmonies are incredible. You can find it on YouTube if you're unfamiliar. The End of the Innocence, Eagles, live, and you'll love it. I love it, and I think this is one of the best songs that uh, Don Henley ever wrote. Number five, going back to uh, our buddy Glenn Frey, a song that was uh, also a Miami Vice staple, but one that was also on MTV like nonstop, and it's the Smuggler's Blues. I, I think probably Glenn Frey's, probably his signature solo song, I think. I, I think that's the one I look at when I say, you know what, when Glenn Frey left the Eagles, that's the one that was probably the biggest hit in my mind. So we get to the top four, and I think most of us will agree that these are the top four. I think those of us that are rockers especially. You know I couldn't leave Joe Walsh out. Oh, my gosh. I, mean, I love Joe Walsh. And I think Joe Walsh brought such an edge to the Eagles. That's when things really began to change for them. You know, There was a time they were almost a country band. And I think Joe Walsh just made the Eagles so much more of a rock band I think his influence was incredible. And I love his solo work, too. And, and Joe is so fun and so funny. But it's Rocky Mountain Way. And uh, it's one of those songs, too, that, you know, it was so ahead of its time from a vocal standpoint because they, they kind of manipulated it. It was kind of like auto-tuning before auto-tuning was a thing. But Joe absolutely nails this riff. And I'll be honest with you, one of my my favorite cover songs of all time, and we've talked about this on the show, it's Godsmack's cover of Rocky Mountain Way. They rock it up even more. But, man, Joe Walsh, what an absolute tremendous songwriter. I mean, he, the stuff he brings, like life in the fast Land to the Eagles, none of that stuff happens without Joe. Number three, and I believe this was the first ever Don Henley solo track. And uh, this was a lot of people kind of were upset about Don leaving the Eagles and what's going to happen next, but he came out with Dirty Laundry. And it, it was a huge hit. You couldn't go anywhere without being on the radio. You know, kick them when they're up, kick them when they're down. And I I love the way he talks about, you know, know, the the news. There's all this tragic stuff that happens, and they just kind of, you know, that's what people do. It's almost like Don was a bit of a prophet. You know, he kind of knew that this, uh, you know, clickbait journalism thing was coming on because, uh, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Number two, going back to Joe Walsh. And there're probably a few that saw, it. you know, Steve's going to have Joe Walsh number 1. No, I couldn't do that. But it's life's been good by Joe Walsh. I love the song. It 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 one of those songs that makes me happy. You know, there are some songs out there you listen to and they kind of get you hitching you your feelings or whatever. This one doesn't. This is just one of those. I just laugh at the lyrics to this because you know, like Joe talks about, it, you know, people tell me I'm great. You know, it's I, I love the song. I love the sentiment behind it. I love the little reggae beat at times, too. That there's a little strumming there. It sounds a little bit reggae-influenced. But I think it shows that Joe's got a little bit of a sense of humor, too. Life's been good to me so far. Me too, Joe. But number one, and I, to, me, I, to me, this is number one with a bullet. It's the Boys of Summer by Don Henley. I love the Atari's cover of it, too. But the original, the vibe on this song is just so incredible. And what's I I watched an interview with Don, with Howard Stern, before I did the show today. And uh, he was talking about that the track for Boys of Summer had already been recorded. Like somebody already put the music together and they had this great song. They didn't have any lyrics and they actually pitched the song to Tom Petty. And then Tom rejected it. And uh, I guess it was Tom Petty's lead guitarist kind of reached out to Don and says, you know, this is a killer song. Maybe you can do something with it. And then the whole thing just kind of came together. And it's a song about nostalgia and kind of looking back. And, you know, it's, and he's a big baseball fan too, but it's not about baseball. But it's basically, you know, it's basically, you know, a guy talking to a girl about a summer love and basically telling her, you know, that, you know, my love for you will still be strong after the boys of summer have gone. And And there are a lot of people that misinterpreted that to be, you know, your summer boyfriend or whatever, you know, when those guys all go back home or whatever, but it's about baseball. You know, it's, it's basically about even when your favorite things are gone, I'm still going to love you. And, uh, it is a love song at its core, but I love the whole part about, uh, you know, saw a dead head sticker on a Cadillac. I'm not a grateful dead fan at all, but, uh, and when the Atari's recorded it, they said a black flag sticker on a Cadillac and black flag, of course, being a great punk band, a great American punk band, but, Boys of Summer, I think, is without a doubt the best Don Henley of the solo tracks and uh, arguably one of the best songs that he's ever been a part of, maybe not named Hotel California. So that's the list. And, Roy, thanks so much for the suggestion. I think we'll all have a lot of fun with this list. I will jam all of this stuff uh, probably on my ride to Tuscaloosa on Thursday. Really looking forward to this. Listen to all this stuff before I recorded the show because sometimes I just need a minute. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's sometimes I can put a list together. I'm thinking, you know what? I hadn't heard this in a while. Let me listen to this. And so there were a couple that missed. There were a couple songs that, uh, like The Last Worthless Evening from Don Henley. I almost put that on there. Uh, and there were a few more. There was uh, a couple of Joe Walsh songs that I really agonized over. But uh, I believe these are the top ten. Hope you guys enjoy them if you have an idea for the top 10 lists reach out let me know i am on all forms of social media at scout steve r and if you're not following me on twitter what are you doing with your life all right let's get into a few more things before we get out of here let's take a look at the university of Alabama baseball team this segment of the show brought to you by campus bookmark if you have not been to campus bookmark recently you are missing out next time you're in town Go by and see the smiling staff, Stand the Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely talented Susie, Cheyenne, the whole crew there will make you feel like family because in their minds, you are family. And they want to outfit you and family, your family in the latest in Mississippi State merchandise. If you can't make it by to see their smiling faces, follow them on social media at Campus Bookmark. And also, too, do your shopping at CampusBookmark.net. And by being a loyal Bondyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. I know many of you are getting ready to go to the beach and take summer trips. You need to take some new Mississippi State merchandise with you. We are a very well-dressed, very good-looking fan base. And so I want you to go out there and represent us all really well. Put your best foot forward with some new Mississippi State gear today. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's take a look at Alabama now. Alabama has been better this year, but they have really struggled throwing the baseball. They they have really had some injuries and some uh, some bullpen troubles, but they are 29 and 19 on the year. Just 10 games over 500. Uh, 12 and 14 in the conference and uh, safely in the field at Hoover probably needs some things to go right for them in order to uh, to make the NCAA tournament. So we know that they're going to bring their best effort this weekend. They're still playing to get in. They're not quite there. And they know that a win or two over Mississippi State this weekend probably gets them in. So let's run down the schedule. They begin the year with a sweep of McNeese State. They take a... Uh, midweek game from Jacksonville State. They lose to UT Martin. How ironic is that? They lose to UT Martin 9-4 in Tuscaloosa early on. They then sweep a series from Wright State, take a midweek game from Troy 9-1. They take two out of three on the road at College of Charleston. The one loss, a 1-0 ball game on Saturday. Pretty good offensive weekend for the Tide outside of that. Uh, They win a midweek game against South Alabama. They beat Jacksonville State. They take two out of three from Stetson there in Tuscaloosa. You know, Stetson's kind of been a burr in the Florida saddle this year. They open SEC play by beating Arkansas, the very first game of the SEC season, and beat them 16-1. And for some reason, Alabama has been able to hit Friday pitching in the league. It is ridiculous to see how these numbers work, and we'll get into some of that a little bit later. They don't even score much at all the rest of the weekend against Arkansas. They lose 9-1, 3-1. So they scored all those runs on Friday. They lose a midweek game to, to Southern Miss, and then they're swept by Ole Miss and uh, really kind of struggled to score runs in there. So, I mean, that's, you know, they put together a pretty lengthy uh, losing streak there, losing six in a row. They bounce back, win the Friday game against Tennessee, 7-4. They lose an extra innings on Saturday and then lose 9-8. So they're, they're very much in the series with with Tennessee, just couldn't – just couldn't get over the hump and win the series. They bounce back and lose to Louisiana Monroe, who has uh, kind of been a, a team of uh, interest here as of late. You recall they took two out of three from TCU over the weekend. Alabama rides a ship. They go down to College Station and they sweep Texas A&M, and that looked like it kind of came out of nowhere. And a great job by the coaching staff to kind of get them refocused. Then they, they blast Sanford 19-3. to three. They host Auburn. They win the series, but, man, it was so nip and tuck the whole way through. Auburn's been cursed by one-run losses. Every one of these games, a one-run game. Alabama wins Friday 8-7. They lose Saturday 5-4, and they win on Sunday uh, 10-9. I guess it's actually a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. They beat uh, UNA 8-6. Then they go on the road, and they lose two of three. But you know what game they won? The Friday game. Ten to one. Again, it's just an anomaly in the schedule to think, man. How are these guys hitting Friday pitching and then struggling so much on Sundays? It doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Uh, they beat UAB and then they go sweep Mizzou uh, there in Tuscaloosa and they, again put up eleven runs on Friday. I know until we mention Mizzou, until we kind of rectify that, we're going to have some trouble. Uh, they go and they play a pair against Vanderbilt. You know that Sunday game. Uh, You know, got washed. And so that's one of those things that's kind of an anomaly in the schedule, too, where Vanderbilt and and Alabama are both going to be short a game. Alabama uh, probably had a chance to win that Sunday game, but, uh, you know, who knows how that plays out. That game is uh, canceled. Last weekend, they go on the road down at LSU. They don't score a bunch of runs, but they find a way to win one. They lose the Friday night game 2 1, and then they win on Saturday 6 5, and then lose 13 5. On Sunday, they did not have a midweek game, so they have kind of been sitting around waiting for us to get there. So that pitching staff probably could use the time off. So let's look inside the numbers here, take a look at Alabama's uh, numbers, who's doing well, and uh, it's been one of those crazy things pitching-wise. I mean, they, they just haven't been able to keep a lot of guys healthy, and that. They've had trouble closing out ball games too. So let's start with pitching. A handful of guys here have had some starts but um you know dylan smith 13 starts on the year he is one and six with a 3.74 era uh, tyler raz and he was a guy that a lot of people expected by now to really be a dominant uh, pitcher in this league just hadn't been that way this year 12 starts a six and three record with a 5.40 era uh, getting a little bit deeper into this thing, uh, Connor Shamblin has started some for them as well. He's a 4-2 record. Uh, Lee Chase has been outstanding for them in relief. Uh, six wins, seven saves. I'm sure we will see him at some point, uh, no matter what the score is, because he is a guy that can kind of hold the game in place. Uh, definitely a guy that um, they have counted on when they have needed to close out ball ballgames. Uh, he has allowed just 17 hits and 29 innings pitched. Allowed his three home runs, struck out 40, walked just nine. Has allowed three home runs, opponents hitting just 172 against him. Now, we we talk so much about injuries and that kind of stuff. You know, uh, Connor Prelip is a the guy they were expecting to be their guy this year. And he has missed much of the season. He pitched last week in that Sunday game against LSU, and things just didn't go well. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he'll be right again until next year or not, but uh, – He was expected to be their Friday night guy. They've never disclosed what the injury was, but he just, he hadn't pitched much. He's made three starts on the year. He's got a one and one record, 3.86 ERA, and has pitched just seven innings on the year. Eight hits, three runs, uh, 12 Ks against just one walk. And so, he's been pretty effective, but um, he just hadn't been able to kind of put things together. It's just not there. You know, and again, injuries are part of the game of baseball. I think everybody kind of recognizes that and, and we kind of see what's going on. But, um, you know, this is a team that is just, you know, they've pitched it okay at times. They're just really having trouble in the bullpen. And I know Antoine Jean was a guy that, that got hit pretty good last weekend against OSU. Uh So I'm sure we'll see a lot of these guys, and I think they, I think they put six guys in the, in the Sunday game. I think they pitched six guys and they could, just couldn't get anybody out. As a staff, they have a 4.62 ERA, a whip of 1.36. Just two shutouts on the year, 13 saves. Allowing, as a staff, basically a hit per inning uh, 235 runs, 218 of those are earned, 435 Ks against 153 walks. Uh, not bad, not great. Allowed 81 doubles, six triples, and 51 home runs. That's, that's a lot. And batting average against Alabama pitching is 263. That's interesting, right? I mean, this is a team that's going to give up some hits. They're a team that's, uh, you know, they're going to pitch to contact. They're going to be in the zone. And they're going to give you a chance to get some hits. And uh, if we go out there and play our game, I think we're going to be okay with this deal. Now, looking at hitting, this is where, again, They've made some improvements, but I don't know if, if there's you know, more than a couple guys in this lineup that you that you really have to kind of pitch around. I think you can go attack some of these guys, but there are a couple guys that can swing the bat pretty well. Zane Denton leads a team with a 328 batting average. He started all 48 games, uh, 62 hits on the year, which is a team high. 26 walks on the year, but only struck out 38 times. Nine homers, 36 ribbies. Certainly one to kind of keep an eye on. Sam Prater, a big stick in this order, hitting 302. 13 dingers, which leads a team. 44 RBIs, also a team high. 104 total bases, team high, easily. Also leading slugging percentage, 581. So definitely with power numbers there. He's also been plunked seven times, which is interesting, but he doesn't lead the team there. Jim Jarvis has eight. It's, It's crazy. Peyton Wilson's a guy too that uh, you know, a lot of a lot of ABs under his bat. He's a utility guy. Been around a couple of years. Will probably be a guy that we see. I, I would probably say, I guess he's been playing second. I haven't. I didn't look at those numbers a whole lot. But this is a guy that can play multiple spots in the infield, kind of depending on where they need to move some guys around for matchups. But uh, a two hundred ninety eight hitter. Nine home runs on the year. Surprising pop for a guy his size. He's not the biggest guy, right around 5'9", but uh, swings a big bat for sure. And so, you're kind of running through these numbers. You know, it's just you you look at these things. they got a couple guys hitting above three hundred, but a couple more right at it. It just seems like it just depends on the weekend for them. You know, it it depends on matchups. I mean, this is a team that's been good enough to go on the road and get a sweep. And this is a team that's been swept at home by teams that are probably uh, not much more talented than them. They don't run the bases an awful lot either. And those are the things that I kind of pick up on too, especially with Logan Tanner back there. There are not a lot of people that are going to try us, but Alabama just as a club just doesn't really run the bases exceptionally well. Just 38 attempts on the year, 29 of 38. The most successful guy is Peyton Willis, the guy we just talked about. He's 10 of 12 on the year. So he's got a third of their stolen bases. And outside of that, nobody has more than uh, four stolen base attempts. They're just kind of a, you know, stolen base, you know, by convenience type deal. It's not a huge part of their game. But, um, you know, eager to kind of see what this team does and what we do. I mean, again, I think this is a good enough team to kind of keep our interest because we have learned here as of late that uh, if we go out there and don't don't swing the bats and we don't pitch strikes, that we're going to be in trouble. Looking at some of these conference numbers, too, uh, Sam Prater has had eight home runs in SEC play. So it's not like he's just beating up on non-conference competition. That happens a lot. I look at some of these numbers sometimes, and a lot of these guys, more than 50% of their home runs are you know, against non-conference opponents. And uh, Peyton Wilson, again, the guy we just recently talked about, he's got four dingers hitting three nineteen in SEC play. Definitely going to have to pay attention to him for sure uh owen diodate has seven home runs in conference play and he's only hitting 247 but this is a guy that's kind of found himself a little bit here in sec play and and uh, has actually done a pretty good job outfielder 6-3 sophomore actually from canada nigeria falls ontario looking at his numbers here as of late he's a guy too that's pretty kind of come on down the stretch Had a rough weekend at LSU, but uh, had a three-hit weekend at Vanderbilt. I guess really the last couple months, he has uh, kind of really been hit or miss, pardon the pun. He went 0 for 9 against LSU. So maybe we're catching him at a good time. You know, the thing Mississippi State has to do is uh, we just can't give this lineup extra outs. This is not a lineup that can, I think, run away with a ball game, but they're going to be good mistake hitters. And their ballpark at times is very offensive. It's one of those those you – know, we've been over there before and hit a bunch of home runs, and we've watched them hit a bunch of home runs too. Of course, we went down there in 16, and we lost a ball game. If we walked into that gun winning run against a team that couldn't swing bats. Those are the things that just drive you nuts. But, uh, you know, they're a team that's been pretty good at home. You know, and, and everybody is – they're 19 and 19-10, and a lot of those losses have come in SEC play. And so they've done a pretty good job, you know, protecting the non-conference, but – you know, here as of late, this is a team but it has been a little bit scary. You know, you just never know one weekend or the next which team is going to show up. So let's look at these D1 projections and kind of see where we are. So Kendall Rogers and Aaron Fit, Mark Etheridge and the crew over there came out with their latest projections. Uh, I agree with a lot of it, not with all of it. And uh, as I showed you guys last week, there were some things they missed. And listen, we're all just guessing. They have Alabama listed in the first five out. So, you know, whether that, that is on any advanced knowledge or just a hunch, Alabama knows this. They know they've got to come in here and have a winning weekend. Last five in, they have Indiana State, Tulane, Clemson, LSU, Georgia. I think unless Indiana State collapses down the stretch, they're probably in with a little bit of you know room to, to, to maneuver. Uh, but let's look at these host spots. They have Arkansas, Stewart, number one, Vanderbilt at two, texas at three tennessee at four arizona at five notre dame at six i don't understand the intrigue there uh fort worth tcu seven mississippi state eight so they still have state projected as a national seed now what's interesting to note about all this as well is that many of the teams that uh, are in contention are going to go head to head here in, in the next couple weekends you know um I think when you get into this second 16, that's when you have some ebb and flow. So let me go ahead and tell you guys this. Uh, We expect State to host. You're barring something totally unforeseen. We didn't foresee last weekend either. So to ensure that, we got to make sure we go over there and win this weekend. I think we win the weekend. I think we're safely in as a top eight national seed. Now, let's see who we would be competing against. Texas Tech right there as projected as the number nine seed. Oregon at 10. Oregon still has to play Stanford. Stanford also has to play Oregon State, so they're going to really earn it. Florida listed at number 11. They're going to go play Arkansas this weekend, so there may be some upper mobility for them or they could fall out. East Carolina in at number 12. Ole Miss currently at 13. Stanford at 14. I think Stanford's going to have a tough time hanging on, to be honest with you. I really do. And I think it's one of those deals too when you begin to uh to begin to look at these numbers. You know, Ole Miss doesn't need to lose a Georgia. I don't care what their media people say. Oh, well, one win. No. No. When you go drop a game to a two hundred and twenty eight RPI team on a midweek game, you better go have a winning weekend. Especially when you've already lost the majority of your SEC series. I mean it's like you begin to look at this thing and say, Okay, well, they had a losing series weekend more times than not in the SEC. So how do you reward that team with a regional when you've got Charlotte and others that are right there on the cusp of making it? I do think Stanford is probably one that's going to probably drop out of this thing. Uh, Gonzaga is 15, and then Louisiana Tech 16. So basically at this point, they only have one Conference USA team making it. I think there is a good chance that two make it. I think there's a really good chance that two make it, and it could be either Charlotte or Southern Miss. Now, looking at Mississippi State's bracket, this is where one of the things I disagree with. They are really relying so much on geography for us, but not so much for other conferences. It's it's weird. You look at some regionals and you've got people flying all over the country uh, to go play in these things, and then you've got basically us just kind of hosting a family reunion uh, with Jackson State, Southern Miss, and Clemson. Uh, I don't know that Clemson wants to come down here. And to be fair, I don't think Southern Miss deserves to be here. And I'm not saying that to be critical of Southern Miss. I think they have played well enough that they deserve to be one of the higher two seeds if we're not going to host, and they shouldn't have to come to Mississippi State. As a top seed, I think they should probably be in one of those regionals with one of the teams that is probably a thirteen or fourteen. You know and, and you know what? Maybe that's Ole Miss. I don't know, but you know, when I begin to look at this thing and say, okay, listen, you got East Carolina out there at twelve, you got Ole Miss at thirteen, you got Stanford at fourteen, you probably wouldn't send those guys out west. And you got Gonzaga there at fifteen. You got Louisiana Tech, but you don't have Southern Miss going there. And I'm sure a part of that is you're thinking, well, you know, we want to, you know, we don't want to send opponents in common, but yet they've got them coming to us. And so I don't think you'd have a conference opponent play a conference opponent. It wouldn't happen for an SEC school. So I'm sure that's probably an understood rule for Southern Miss. But I think you could see them going somewhere else other than Starkville. Not that I'm scared for them to come here. I think we would absolutely beat them. But I think those guys deserve better. I think they deserve a trip. I think they've had a good enough season. They should have a chance to go play, and it's so funny, too, we talk so much about you know geography, how geography plays a big part in this, and uh, I think sometimes we just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall. Here is who D1 has, and again, I love the guys at D1. I'm not being critical. I'm just kind of showing you that there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to the, to the geography they're talking about. So for the Gonzaga Regional, which is in Spokane, Washington, they have Yukon Oregon State and North Carolina. So you're going to have UNC and UConn fly all the way across the country, but yet you're going to force Jackson State and Southern Miss to stay in state. That makes no sense to me. Doesn't make any sense. Well, it's, you know, it's going to be geographic pods. Well, then why are that? Why 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 can't Southern Miss go play over there? Doesn't make any sense. You begin to look at, the you know, even like you know the old Miss regional. They would have Southeast Missouri State, Georgia Tech, and South Alabama. I don't think that's an easy regional, to be honest with you. I know other people are saying, oh, that would be a cakewalk. I think Georgia Tech's capable of winning that regional if it goes down like that. And then you've got South Carolina going to play ECU, and then Virginia and Campbell. I think that's a difficult regional for ECU. So you see exactly what I'm talking about here. It's like there's just there's not a lot of this. Like in the Eugene-Oregon regional, here's what they have. They have Stony Brook, Pittsburgh, and Indiana all going to Oregon. But then they have Southern Miss and Jackson State coming to Mississippi State. It just there's no rhyme or reason to it. And so, at the end of the day, we're all guessing. And I think geography does play a factor in some respects. But as you guys have heard me say before, those kids at Jackson State, whether the swag champion always seems to be like, <laughs> I get fired up about this, and I'm sure this with you guys before. It's just not right that they have to be landlocked to the southeast why can't those guys take a trip and listen i don't think anybody's ever expecting a SWAC team to make the super regional but some year it's going to happen some year it's going to happen but why force them to go play an sec school when they have played them all through the regular season why can't they go out there and play you know at one of the schools in texas why can't they go to tcu doesn't make any sense to me why do they always have to go play either at lsu mississippi state or Ole miss And listen, you know, we'll take Ws wherever we can get them. But I I just think this is about the college athlete experience. Why not give those guys a chance to take a trip? It just – it did not make any sense to me. I, I think it's lazy. I really do. And I hope that this year the committee will consider that and let Jackson State go somewhere on a trip. I told you guys before I had a friend that played at Southern U and, you know, Every year they would get sent to Baton Rouge and play in the LSU regional, basically as some sacrificial lamb. They didn't—they didn't get the benefit of staying in a hotel. You know, they they just lived in their dorms, and then they went and played LSU. It's somebody they'd already played in the the regular season, and they went over there and lost. And then one year, you got to go to Cal State Fort, and then they beat Cal State Fort, and then the four versus one game. I just think that's the right thing to do. I'm just—you know—consider me, you know maybe a a swag fan or whatever. I just, you know, because I knew Roger Kador so well and when I was in Baton Rouge and uh just have so much respect for him and uh and the program that they built there. I wish that they would get uh you know, more opportunities, shall we say, to, to when they make it to the postseason to have a chance to take their kids and have a unique experience. All right, let's talk some recruiting. This segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You guys have heard me talk about Portico many times, and uh, at times some of you guys reach out to get more information from me as the news breaks. Another no hitter has been thrown. And just what is, what is happening in MLB? It's like a new hitter every day. So, Portico is a great residential development right here in Starkville, right on the outskirts of campus, just 1.1 miles away from campus so you turn off 82 onto 12 like you're heading to campus like you would to go to duty noble field the very first right will take you to your new home you take that right on what's called pat station road that crosses old west point road it becomes garrett road it's right there behind the cry for jeep dealership you guys are familiar with that you've seen it a million times and the next thing you know there's there's portico two phases phase one you know those houses are built and there's only three left so if you're looking to move to starkville now You need to make a phone call today. And if you're saying, you know what, Steve, maybe this is not the time for us. You know what? Phase two is going to open up here in the next month or so. They're going to start building some roads, you start building some houses. And so maybe you're thinking, maybe we can be in in time for football season. Maybe we can be in in time for Christmas. Maybe we'd like to celebrate Christmas in our new home. Listen, I love living here. And I'd love for you guys to live here too. I think you will enjoy it because it's not just about going to ball games, guys. Starkville is a wonderful place to live and raise your family. So let me encourage you reach out to my friend, your friend Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog outfielder. Listen, you owe him a phone call if for no other reason to thank him for robbing that home run against Washington to send us to Omaha. What better place to do business than with a Bulldog? Brooks' phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And uh, he also knows Richard Lee. Richard Lee was uh, our Diamond Dog of the day at Brady Noble Field today. So, we've got a little recruiting stuff to talk about. Things are slowing down a little bit. I just don't get the sense that not only Mississippi State, but I think college coaches around the country are really pushing right now for commitments because, you know, we're about two weeks away from having the first camps in two years. And so I think a lot of guys, you know, last year we had to take a chance on some guys and perhaps maybe they didn't meet the measurables and we got them on campus. And so let's be careful, take our time. Let's not take a commitment or push a kid to commit because there's going to be somebody else show up at camp that maybe have comparable or better ability and you don't want to have to drop a kid. So I think people being careful right now, I do think Mississippi State will pick up a commitment this week. I mentioned We've been talking about Trent Singleton for months. I'm a big Trent Singleton fan. I, I love his versatility as a player. He's a guy that plays quarterback and cornerback in high school. I think he grows into a safety. It'll be interesting to see what he looks like after a year with Tyson Brown. Do they trim him up a bit? Do they bulk him up some? I guess we'll see. But when you've got a guy as athletic as him, You've got some options there. You can kind of decide, okay, this is where we have a need, and this is a guy that is a special athlete, and so let's do this with him. I think we will not begin another week without Trent being in the boat. I expect him to commit this weekend. Uh, I believe the 23rd falls on Sunday, and that is, if I'm not mistaken, that is the one-year anniversary of his grandmother's passing. He was very, very close with her, very family-oriented young man, and wants to honor his grandmother by making the announcement on that day. And so I think it says a lot about him and also to the fact that he values family. It makes sense that he would want to be close to family and have them kind of share in the college experience. And so I fully expect him to be a bulldog by the end of the week. Uh, and I don't, again, when we get ready to record the show on Monday, I think that uh, we'll be kind of talking about uh, adding Trent Singleton uh, to the Mississippi State's recruiting hall. Currently ranked 13th in the country, and we won't stay there. Okay, but the strength of this class is still to come, and that's going to be on the defensive line. States own a lot of very talented defensive line prospects, and that's what's going to keep this class in the top 20, I believe. I think, you know, I think we're certainly a top 25 class. I think this is a, team, a chance to be in the top 20 really for one of the first time. I think it's happened three times this century for us. So I think that that's what's going to happen. But you're not going to see many of these defensive linemen commit – until late summer or on into the season. Of course, you've got Stone Blanton, four-star linebacker out there kind of floating around. I've heard that he may make a decision during the month of June. He wants to get out and take a few trips first. But he's a bulldog. He committed to Mississippi State baseball for a reason, and uh, he's still working through his options. So he's got, he never expected to have any football scholarship offers. And, listen, he owes it to himself to at least to go through the recruiting process and enjoy some of this. This is kind of the fruit of his own labor. And so I don't begrudge that to him, but I do believe that he will be a Bulldog sooner rather than later. And I think that's a big drawing card for Mississippi State. I think there are a lot of players that have a lot of respect for Stone Blanton. I think he is a guy with a lot of credibility. He also has four stars next to his name in a very lengthy offer sheet. So you get him in, then you get Xavier Harris, hopefully, defensive line prospect, and State appears to be in good shape with him. It's a four-star guy. R.J. Moss is a guy that has been dynamic. I think he's a guy that needs to come to camp and have a good evaluation, and I fully expect him to do that. Another guy with four stars next to his name. And so when you begin to kind of run these things now, you begin to realize, you know, State's going to take three more offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, another linebacker. It's going to be a DB-heavy class, and it should be, because we we really struggled at times last year, uh, as you guys know, with DB recruiting. And then we're going to take one more wide receiver. And listen, we're out here elephant hunting right now. Okay, there's no need right now for us to say, okay, well, let's take a kid today that we would probably take in November just to kind of get it over with. I like the approach the staff is taking because, listen, there are a lot of guys out there that would love to commit to Mississippi State right now. But I believe you keep swinging for the stars before you uh, just kind of settle and say let's get it done. I think State could probably have most of the class wrapped up right now if that's what they wanted to do. But it's not about just picking up early commitments. It's about finding the best players possible to fill these scholarship slots to advance such as a football program. That requires some patience. And in some cases, some in-person evaluation. And I believe that's going to happen next month. And so I think once these guys come in, have a chance to interact with the coaches and tour the facilities, you're going to see a pretty busy summer. But, again, remember, state's only got about a dozen spots to work with. And so when you see two or three guys come in and commit, understand – there is a limited number of spots available. State is expected to sign a full 25. Of course, as I mentioned on the show last week, you got a couple of blue shirts out there. You sign If you could sign one now, then that would save a spot in the 2022 class. But it's going to be a 25-man class. There's not going to be room to count back. So, again, you're working with about a dozen spots. And so when you go on the next big run, let's say you add Trent Singleton this weekend – that takes you down to 11, and you get through big dog camp, maybe you add three or four uh, during the month of June. Well, then you've only got, you know, just over a half dozen left to work with. And and there's some guys like Shaz Preston, wide receiver, out of Louisiana, who is the younger brother of Mississippi State safety, Sean Preston. You know, he's not going to decide until late. And so that's a spot you're going to hold until he tells you no. You're you're not going to take another receiver just to take one. But you're also too. You're going to keep recruiting a bunch of other guys because if he likes to go to LSU, you don't want to be left on signing day having a scramble. That's also another guy that's got four stars next to his name. So I'm really optimistic about this class and the fact that we're having a chance to kind of stack top 25 classes together. Uh, those are important. That's how you begin to kind of get right in the SEC. You got to get off this re- recruiting roller coaster. You know, last year wasn't a great year in state, and we still managed to have a top twenty-five class. And so, you know, now all of a sudden, that you've got a great year in state, next thing you know, it could be one of the better ranked classes we've had in some time, probably since back two thousand fifteen. So, when there is SEC talent in the state of Mississippi, you got to get your share, and you want to get more than your share if you can. Uh, and so, especially with you know, you know, Ole Miss kind of trying to expand the recruiting footprint. They'll circle back and try to take some kids late. I think that's why it's important to kind of build relationships now, so when they do, uh, it's just it's not as attractive perhaps as it would be if they had recruited them all along. We saw some of that last year, uh, you know, with some of those guys where they kind of came back on them and and uh, and took them. But you know, the bottom line is, is a the state they'll Miss most years is going to split the in-state talent. So anytime you have a chance to kind of get ahead and maybe get a sixty forty or a seventy five twenty five deal like in two thousand fifteen. Mississippi State dominated in-state recruiting. And uh, I think there was only one player in the state that year that visited both Mississippi State and Ole Miss, and that was Leo Lewis, who signed with Mississippi State, as you guys uh, well know. So that's kind of the recruiting piece today. Look for Trent Singleton to commit this weekend, and then look for them to kind of get into big dog camp. And then there will be this kind of reestablishing of the pecking order once they have a chance to see some of these guys and there's going to be some guys out there that probably play their way into offers that don't have them today. So be some new options in June. Looking forward to getting out there. And I understand Adidas is doing a big thing, uh, the big photo shoot type thing for Mississippi State to kind of make this a special event, uh, Big Dog Camp. And uh, we hope to be there and be able to cover it and bring you guys all the news. And uh, that's what we do. And you know, Paul Jones and I, we look forward to these events every single year. It's not a situation where we're just kind of like, okay, it's just another day, we want to go see the kids, too. We want to see how big they are and how they how they operate and how they play. You know, it's only so much you can see on a highlight video. And so it's kind of good to see them work with coaches and see if they can take coaching and just kind of see how they interact. And so hopefully we'll be able to cover all that and bring you guys the latest coverage. If you hadn't done so, you need to go to Amazon or Books A Million or BarnesandNoble.com and pre-order my newest book, Blooms of Oleander, my first book. Uh, in my first foray into poetry as a published writer, I have uh, written poetry for years and songs for years, and I was encouraged by some friends to so say, you know what, you need to do something with this. So I did. You can pre order today. Many of you have. Thank you so much for that. Again, the title of the book is Blooms of Oleander by Steve Robertson. It'll be available in great bookstores around the state of Mississippi beginning June 7th. It's crazy to think about that. We're, on, we're just over two weeks away from the release date. And if you're looking for my other books, and at least once a week, somebody messages me and says, hey, Steve, I just wasn't paying attention. Where do I get the other books? It's alphadogsthebook.com. That's dogs, D-A-W-G-S, alphadogsthebook.com. And you can get signed, personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs right then and there. That's going to do it for today's show. will be back on Friday, hopefully talking about a good start to a series at the University of Alabama for your Mississippi State baseball team. But until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus.